If you look at the content you're, you're creating and you apply these six stimuli, it's a way to essentially push the mental buy button of your buyer. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Tuesday, which means this is our hashtag one big idea episode. In these episodes, you'll hear some of the best big ideas from incredible practitioners, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs within our community. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to the Flip My Phone podcast. This interview is with David Lewis and I want to give everybody a fair warning. The content is incredible, but as you might have noticed, we have been testing our audio skills and it's a little bit choppy around the edges. So bear with us, but the content is insanely, insanely awesome. So when Caitlin and I were looking at this and listening to it, we were going to drop it. But then when we listen to the content, it just felt like this is worth sharing. So if you bear with a little bit of the choppiness, you're going to love the idea around storytelling that David had to share. So here you go. Welcome to the Flip My Funnel podcast. Today, I'm, I'm super excited about this one. So I have David Lewis with me. Dave and I have known for each other for a couple of years, uh, but I've really known him being someone in the MarTech industry. He's the CEO of DemandGen, a Forbes contributor and advisor, and a part-time DJ. So we can get into the DJ part pretty soon. He actually started off this conversation playing his DJ music in the background. But I I saw him do a presentation at a conference in Montana, of all places. This is a PFL conference. And he was presenting on the topic of neuromarketing. Now, I don't know how many of you guys have heard about neuromarketing, but I really haven't. Like, I feel felt like, wow, this is entirely new thing that has been presented to me that I didn't know that there's a better way to present. And there's colors and there are different activities and emotions that are that people have in their hearts and minds when they look at a presentation. And there is an art to how you present now. Every one of us, every single one of us, regardless of you being in marketing or sales or whatever field you might be, you're probably doing a presentation at some point in this week, next week, or the following week. And I I hope that this podcast, and not just hope, but I believe that this podcast, you're going to learn about some real practical advice from Dave on what are the things you should be thinking about when you're going to do the next presentation to have the most amazing experience from your audience. So Dave, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, Sangram. It is great to be on your program. I feel like you and I are, are you know, living parallel lives, both doing podcasts and very cool to come together. So thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. So let's just dive into it, man. So what is neuromarketing? How did you even come up with that idea or, or heard about that idea? Because I know you had some references on it. And, and just explain in a layman term, what is neuromarketing and why should people care about it? Absolutely. And, you know, I I do hope that this podcast is one of those where people go, man, I'm so glad I listened to that. I took so much away from it. And it's stuff that you can apply later on today or or tomorrow. It all began saying when I was searching online several years ago, I was looking for quite candidly to see how I was doing in my own SEO rankings. So I typed in David Lewis marketing to see what would come up and up comes on Google Dr. David Lewis. And he does look much older than me. And this is about 15 years ago. And I'm like, who the heck is Dr. David Lewis marketing? Why does he have better SEO than me right now? 
And he was considered the father of neuromarketing. He's a guy that, that people really credit with that. So I started reading what he had been doing and he was really understood neuroscience, which is, you know, basically how our brains work. And so because he had a passion for marketing, he wanted to take neuroscience and apply it to the discipline of marketing. And that's how I discovered it. Wow. So this was a 15 year ago journey. I didn't know of that at all. Like when we met a few years ago, I don't think we talked about any of this stuff. We just talked about MarTech and all the boring stuff. We never talked about all the cool stuff like neuroscience and neuromarketing. Well, you know, the reason is because, as you said, like I've been very focused on the science of, of marketing, the technology side of marketing. And that's where my passion is. And that's where, you know, my company, DemandGen, helps people that are, you know, investing in marketing automation systems and marketing technology like your tool sets. And so that's what I do every single day. But, you know, the previous in my career, I was, you know, running marketing for a lot of Silicon Valley companies and very blessed to start my career at Microsoft. And we had some phenomenal training back then on like presentation skills. They didn't teach us neuromarketing back then. It really wasn't discovered. But, you know, if you've got a machine, which is marketing technology, and you don't have powerful content in it, it, it doesn't matter what's in your stack. So what I like to do, and I plan on doing a couple more sessions this year, I just got invited to be a keynote at a conference and talk about the power of storytelling. So the art of marketing, the science of marketing as it relates to the brain is very much passion of mine. And I just really get a chance to speak about it. And I was glad that you were there to hear it in action. All right, man. Well, let's just dive into it. So I know there are six different stimuli that you presented at that session that we had in Montana. And I know that those were one of the most interesting, I think most engaged session of all things we did that day. I still remember the colors things and then the music and yeah. some of that. So could you just walk us through one at a time and maybe just give an example? Because I know people can see this. So I don't know if they can have the same emotional reaction that, oh, yeah. I, that I want. So let, let's just go. No, we're going to use, and you know, you mentioned the use of it in, in presentations uh, quite a bit. And the important thing I want people to know is you can use the power of neuromarketing in any form of marketing, whether it's a communication face-to-face -face or a podcast like this or a presentation on stage or the content that you're writing, the videos that you're creating, salespeople. I'm going to give you a book to read if you're tuning in as well for marketing. I'm going to give you a book to read on neuromarketing that will really reinforce these principles. But yeah, let's dive into it. So there are six stimuli and these are well documented in terms of you know, people have different way of describing them. But these six stimuli, if you look at the content you're creating and you apply these six stimuli, it's a way to essentially push the mental buy button of your buyer or the person that you're communicating with. And the very first one is understanding the core fight or flight instinct that is in our brain. So when you start talking and you're listening to this podcast right now, you're thinking, how does this relate to me? How is this going to impact me? Is there something Dave is going to say that's going to help me do better at my job or dodge a bullet or close the next deal or get some accolades from sales if you're in marketing? Whatever you're thinking right now, how does this relate to me? And if I talk for any more time than this, you're going to start tuning out unless I give you a payoff. And so the first stimuli is understanding that people are self-centered. <clears throat> this podcast Sangram, it's not about you and I. It's about the people that are listening in. Um, it's about them. And if we understand what we're presenting or communicating, that that's how they're wired, then we need to make sure that our content 
um, helps them. It was something that you and Caitlin and I were talking about earlier, right? Which is how can we be more prescriptive in these podcasts so they get it? So that's it. The first one is being self-centered and we'll certainly give some examples of that. It's probably, for example, if you're giving a presentation, why you should never start off talking about yourself. Even though thank you for the introduction, Sangram, when you're on stage or you're giving a sales presentation, if the first couple of slides are all about you, it's completely worthless. And I'll talk about why that's the absolute wrong time to do that, the importance of another stimuli. But talk about them and tell stories that are going to engage them because they're going to hear ways to solve problems for themselves or stimulants, you know, opportunities. Man, that's very interesting. Is Give me, share, let me understand this a little bit more. And I think this is going to really help me think about this and hopefully everybody else listening to it. I have seen people when they're presenting now say you way more than the word you in and itself, as opposed to saying I would do this or something like that. And I wonder if there is that when you, when somebody says you, I almost feel like, well, is that attacking me? But then in some ways I'm actually perked up and I'm listening to that conversation. Like, what is it that person's saying? Why is the, the presenter saying you should do this or if you should do that? So I wonder yeah. if there is something in that word you and I that kind of changes when you're presenting and thinking about it from a neuroscience perspective. Yeah, for sure. That was one of the examples that I gave, which was the gentleman who was introducing the Apple Watch for the first time. If you remember, I, I played a video for about 30 seconds, how many times he used the word you. So well, here's an exercise for everyone listening and take a look at your homepage of your website at some point and see if you're using the words we, I, our company or the name of your company, because that's all about you. Everybody tunes in to the word you. It is part of that fight or flight instinct. So if you remember the gentleman was saying, you know, when you put on an Apple Watch, you have the ability to see not only instant messages on your wrist, but you have the ability to interface with other people at any time in any place without having to take out your phone out of your pocket. <laughs> and when you actually introduce that to someone and they watch the video after I've explained the concept, they're like, holy crap, that was like 22 times they were the word you. And Apple's some of the most well-trained people in, in neuromarketing and they use those principles quite a bit. So in your presentations, Sangram, if you wanted to give a great presentation that you have coming up on your calendar, I know we're exaggerating the, the fact, but don't talk about yourself. Use the word you. It really goes back to like Dale Carnegie's principle in how to win friends and influence people that people like to hear their name. That's amazing. So going back to the presentation part of it, would you have, and I, now I'm thinking about the word you. As even there you if, go. <laughs> it's now ingrained and every, everybody's going to think about you all day long as soon as they listen to this podcast. Do you have, do we take the first two slides typically that are the introductions? Where do we put those slides? Ideally, you weave it into the content and you weave it into the stories and you don't have it as a bookend of your presentation. So some people say, put that in the back of your deck. Mm. You really don't need to have slides about how many customers you have and how many projects you've completed or when your company was founded or how many employees you have. It seems so counterintuitive, but people don't really need to know that information. And if they do, you can work it into your story so elegantly. And maybe we'll do that as we explain some of the other stimuli and be able to, to unveil that. But it just doesn't belong in your presentation. And yet almost every PowerPoint deck or every presentation starts off them talking about themselves or a speaker on stage giving this long background. Not relevant because the person's not there to learn about you. They want to learn something for themselves. That is incredible, man. I'm going to use that in my next presentation coming up next week. All right, what's the next one? 
So the next one's contrast. And, you know, you were concerned that how can you teach these techniques on a podcast? Are there ways that you and I can really inform the audience? And what I'm doing is throwing in pauses. And that pause is contrast. We're changing the tempo of how we speak. And so what we found out about the brain is that we are wired to detect difference. And I'll give you some examples of that, right? When you're in a room and the lights flicker, you instantly, like the room gets silent, like you instantly know something changed in our environment. So we've always been wired to detect movement through our visual cortex that's happening out in the wild, right? Because we want to know there's an animal out there and we got to protect ourselves from danger, right? If we touch something uh, like a hot stove, our bodies immediately react because there's a significant contrast. In fact, it's interesting that if you are like in a spa and you put ice under the feet, go and do this if you want, folks. Like, does it feel hot or does it feel cold? The point is we can really detect contrast very quickly. So what are some ways, since our brains are wired for contrast, let me give some examples. Probably everyone on this podcast has seen P90X commercials. Mm -hmm. And what do they always do? They show you the before and after. They show you, here's your body, and then here's your body 90 days later. Men's Hair Club, here's like before their product, and here's your hair restored. Those are great examples in marketing of using contrast because you're explaining what life is like now and what life could be like, and you're using visuals, which we'll talk about that later on. But those are examples of contrast to explain the benefits of your product. So before our one of our clients ever had such and such, it was like this for them, and now it is like this for them. And salespeople and marketing people should learn how to use contrast very effectively. But here's another one, presentations. You mentioned it a little bit earlier. If you dramatically change the color background of your slide when you're giving a presentation, if you take away nothing else from today, do this, and you will take your presentation and create a much higher level of engagement. Because every time you change the color of the background, let's say from white to a colored background, which is great like for a quote, they detect, the human beings in the room detect contrast. And it forces their brain to re-engage with your content. It's like flashing the lights. And I showed some of that, right? And that's how I could give Sanger my 30-minute presentation where no one looks at their phone because I'm constantly invoking that reaction of, of contrast. Man, I love that. I think deposit because I was like, is there something wrong with the recording when you started to pause in the in the earlier part? And until you said, well, I'm pausing on purpose. I think that was great because it immediately got me into like in a position where like, I got to listen to what's going on. So contrast is really, really interesting. I wonder if when you think about colors and presentations and people have all these templates, right? Like when you go to any conference or when you have doing conversation internally, and even when you think about like Steve Jobs presentation, talking about Apple, like all he had was like big font size, right? And, yeah. and that's all it was. And all the time he was talking about a story. He wasn't even contrasting with colors, but his presentation in itself was such a contrast to the rest of the world where nobody right. actually ever presented like Steve Jobs did with a 50 point text size. Well, what do you think of that? Absolutely. I mean, he was probably the master presenter of our era. I had the pleasure of, of working with Steve earlier on in my career. Like Einstein, he always wore a certain look and he never moved away from that, even though all his marketing people always said you should change it up. And he wanted to contrast. He wanted to have a brand identity of how he presented on stage. 
And he always knew that there was a lot of color and design to his product. So he wanted his head to be the focus of what he was communicating and have the products contrast him on what he was presenting. So as you said, like his slides are always yin and yang, dark black backgrounds, and the numbers or information was, was there. So ways you can use it, colors on slides. When you're speaking, insert some pauses. It forces people to re-engage with your content. So if you're in sales and you're giving presentations, take a pause. You know, make sure it doesn't feel unnatural like we were forcing before, but definitely work it into the, the content. Love it, man. This is great. Number three. Number three is tangible, okay? Which is, um, you know, Sangram, you and I have a lot of common personality traits as I've gotten to know you. We're very positive, driven, energetic people, and we get excited about things. Well, there are other people in the world that don't respond as fast and as quickly to the information that is being provided to them. Let's call them the skeptics, if you will, or the people that you have to prove. They need stimuli number three, which is tangibles. They need examples. I mean, everybody needs this, but there's a certain audience that really needs specifics. When I was growing up, there were commercials like four out of five dentists recommend Trident. It was Trident's way of saying, this is good gum. If you're going to chew gum, dentists know what should go in your mouth. And if four out of five dentists think that Trident is the best thing to put in your mouth, that's an example of tangible use in that. It is giving factoids, if you will, to back up your marketing claims. And it's important that you do that or it doesn't sound believable. It's one of the reasons that celebrity endorsements are made. It's why you have that logo slide, right? So the logo slide is, hey, look at all these very successful companies and companies like you. Here's a tangible sense of like, if you buy from us, you know, all these other people have, you should maybe join. So that's why we use the logo slide, right? Is to give validation to that our products and services are used by big, important companies. But those are just ways and techniques. There's, there's more effective than the logo slide, but that is certainly one that's tangible. Make the stats interesting. Let's go back to Steve Jobs. When he wanted to mention the success of iTunes, what would he do? He would say, ladies and gentlemen, in one year, two billion songs have been purchased on iTunes. In fact, hey, Jimmy, can you bring out a check? And, you know, $10 million with a physical check has been written to the artists that have created these apps or these songs. So he would use very specific examples to make claims credible about the success they were having. Yeah, I love that, man. All right, number four. Number four is beginning and end. Remember I said earlier that there's a time and place to do that part about your company. And I said, it's not really in the beginning and it's not really at the end. So Sangram, you like movies, right? Yep. Tell me one of the movies that you enjoyed quite a bit. Rocky. All Rocky. Yeah. Rocky. That's a great, you know, that's a great example for this. So what happens at the end of the Rocky movie? Rocky one. Oh man. I don't know if I know, remember, but it was, was it that Adrian or, you know, Rocky, uh, Sylvester calling her name out. Absolutely. You say you don't know if you remember, but you remembered exactly what happens at the end of the movie. Yeah. It's the da 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 music, and he's calling out Adrian, and she's saying, I love you, Rocky. And that movie is one that you've seen probably a long time ago. And so, like, Steven Spielberg is the master of this. If you want to see someone who is just exceptional at his trade, it's Steven Spielberg. You see this in Saving Private Ryan in every movie. There is a strong opening and a strong closing. And that is because, remember I said earlier that the human brain can only absorb so much information before you tune out? I want you to picture everybody on the podcast, a hammock, all right? So picture a hammock where you've got the left end and the right end hanging on a tree. That beginning part of the presentation or the piece of content or the video has got to be really 
powerful. That's your opening story on stage, or that's how your piece of content opens up or your video. And then there's the closing and people remember the beginning and the end. And if you remember Sangram, what we did is I rattled off a set of different abstract things. I rattled off 10 and I asked everybody in the group to raise their hand, write down as many as they could after I said the 10 and then raise their hand. And if you remember, hands went up around the first things I mentioned and hands went up, went on the last things that I mentioned and less hands in the middle because why is this happening? We've learned from neuroscience. You can only remember so much information before you kind of overheat. And so you should start your presentation really strong and end strong because that's going to be the most memorable times of the interaction. I love that. I think that literally saying is like what happens in the middle, like, you know, it's, it's fine, but really think about the beginning and the end. I think I put too much emphasis on the end just by nature of it, thinking that no matter what, people are going to remember the end. That's the closest to the finish. That's what, and I, I remember people even talking about it or tweeting or anything like that. It mostly happens towards the end, but I never thought the beginning because I would do the same boring beginning as we all have done it, which is, hey, here, here who I am, here's what I've done. But now you're making me think about like, maybe I need to also think about what is it that I want to talk about in the beginning and the end and not just focus on the end and not consider my beginning to be, you know, status quo. I think I need to change that out. We're going to focus on presentations. The way to have a really strong beginning on a presentation is to start with a story. And stories are very engaging. And if it's a good story, those people who get up on stage, hey, uh, everybody, I'm really excited to be here. Everybody says that. So everybody's (laughs) excited. You even said at the beginning of the podcast, I'm really excited to have Dave on. And that's okay to express your emotions. But what did you do, actually? You talked about when we first got to know each other, right? And you, you started to tell a story. So stories are really good as a way to engage your audience. And it's a good way to open the beginning of your presentation. And then, like you say, close strong, like crescendo, and, and take every presentation, you know, like it's opening night on Broadway in New York, right? And that, you know, why do they always have the band start with a compilation of all the music you're going to listen to? And then they wrap it up and everybody takes their bows, right? If they start strong and they end strong, but it doesn't matter if it's, you know, we're talking about presentations. It's any marketing content. It's your videos. It's the written pieces of content that you have. I mean, when you open up a package, that's the beginning of that experience. And Apple, again, was masterful at their packaging to make the opening of your product the first part of a journey of the experience to be really exceptional. Love that, man. All right, number five. Number five is visuals. And that is because we come from reptiles. And the very first thing that developed around our senses was our sense of sight way before we had hearing capability. So we are wired as very visual people. Men are even more visual than women. Don't know why that is. Missed that day at neuromarketing science class. But we are very, very visual. And what the key takeaway from that is, let's talk about a couple different formats. Let's talk about podcasting, storytelling. I can say to you right now, and I'll say to everyone else. So there was this one time that I was sitting on the Los Angeles freeway and it was jam packed. I mean, the space between every single car was inches in front of you and behind you and maybe a foot or so to the left and right. And I remember sitting there feeling so frustrated in the traffic that I I couldn't get to where I wanted to go. And the freeway just looked probably like a gigantic parking lot. So I'll just pause there. 
did, did you see it? Yeah. Did you see? Yeah. I was, I was right. I felt like I was right there. And yet you're not looking at anything. What's interesting about that is, you know, we in our brains have things like mirror neurons. So like, have you ever seen someone yawn and sneezing? People copy that in the room because we're human beings and we mimic the activity of other animals that we are part of. And so from a visual perspective, visuals have all kinds of impact. I could describe right now, take a lemon and hold that up to your teeth and just squeeze down the lemon and suck the juices in and taste that sourness. Every single person listening just had that experience. And so visual storytelling is a great way to engage your audience if you're on stage or if you're writing content to become much better storytellers. And like I mentioned, I'm going to be doing a keynote uh, once again at the PFL uh, conference in Montana. And I'm going to really teach the artist storytelling and break down the whole hero's journey. But we are visual. One of the examples I showed Sanger, if you remember in the thing was the work that session you attended was the work that FedEx did. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to show how they were competitive to UPS. And so they painted their trucks with the FedEx look and feel in the front of it and the UPS in the back of it and DHL, you know, those types of stuff. So they wanted to message a couple things, right? A, they showed contrast. We're always ahead of our competition. The color had contrast on it. So it was a very noticeable look and feel instead of it being painted exactly the same way. And they provided a visual reference of their value proposition. I mean, that example, I mean, I can even picture it right now and hopefully others can as they're thinking about is that that picture of like almost two third of the truck painted as FedEx and just will last one third being being UPS. It literally felt like, well, they're just eating them up. And that was such a really, really big marketing play. So a lot to think about that. And for marketers or salespeople, how do you position yourself? If you don't position yourself, somebody else will. And that was the perfect example of that. Absolutely. So visual storytelling is a way to, to paint a vision of the art of the possible and bring people into your content, but also just images. And gosh, get those words off the slides. There's <laughs> way too many words on people's slides. People can't remember it. They will not remember what they read. They will remember what they've seen. So just stop it. Just get the copy off. You know, you know why people put so much copy on slides? You know why? No, why is that? They don't rehearse. They don't practice. So it's their notes up on the screen. They think all that information is needed there for the audience, but really subconsciously, a lot of it's there to remind them of what they're going to talk about. Yeah, and I, I think that that does make sense, right? A lot of times you would see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven points, and I'm like, well, it's an order of it, and they're just explaining all the things they do, but they can they share a story as, and weave those seven points into it and just have a visual or a one-liner that explains it all versus giving those seven points. And you know, I've seen it go both ways where they're not, but you're right. Maybe that's why, because either they're not prepared for it or they're just trying to make sure that they're not missing anything in in the process. Absolutely. All right. So last but not the least, number six. Number six. Number six is a great one for you and for your listeners because it's about emotion and emotional. And as I've gotten to know you, what's the thing I always tell you? What's the word that I use that describes Sangram, right? It's passion. And no matter where you are or what you're doing, you are passionate about that. And it's, it's something you do naturally. Well, it's not always natural for other people to bring, how many times have we heard the expression, emotion doesn't belong in the workplace? Mm-hmm. That is probably the single worst advice yep. anyone could ever give yep. anyone. Yeah. If emotion means acting irrational, okay, fine. But 
emotion is, you know, passion is an emotion. Let's go back to, you know, again, one of the best, Steve Jobs. And let's talk about when he's introduced products. When Dell introduced their MP3 player, Simon Sinek talks about this in a wonderful TED Talk that he shared. Dell is someone that says, so this is our, you notice I'll take all the use out and I'll take everything that you should be on. This is our MP3 player. It stores a thousand songs on it. It has a battery life that lasts for about three and a half hours. You can carry it in your pocket. You can plug in some standard headsets and download music from your computer. And we're introducing it today. It's $295 and it's available. Yuck, yuck, yuck. What does Steve Jobs do? Right? It's passion. We believe that everyone, all of you, should be able to listen to music no matter where you are. We think music changes your lives. Music puts you in a good mood. Music stimulates you. And because we think you should be able to listen to music wherever you are, all day long, we are introducing the iPod. Yes, it's a portable music player, but it's a life-changing device. And I'm excited to show it to you. And I'm excited for each of you to have one, right? That's how he does it. Right. And that emotion combined with the other techniques comes through. We've all sat in a presentation that's boring as hell. Even if it could be the you know information that would save your life, if the person's not passionate about it, they're not bringing emotional stories. You know, every keynote, right? The best keynotes are a story of tragedy met with success, right? Because they're emotional and they're engaging. So that's stimuli number six. Man, I, I love that part. And I think you're right. Like, I think to me, people have said that I'm way too emotional about things. And I'm like, well, yeah, so beat it, right? Because that's the only way I know. But that, but you're right. Like, I think a lot of people look at being emotional as a weakness. Sometimes they feel that, well, you shouldn't be emotional because you're at a workplace and you're professional. But I don't know if that's really the best way to operate. If you're not emotional, then you're not passionate about what you're doing and you don't care enough to, to be emotional. So I think it's something that defines me, but I think it, it is an important part of workplace. I believe that most places are lacking that. And if more and more people can get emotional about why they do what they do and get emotional behind the why of everything, I think we will have better marketing, better sales process, and a better work-life uh, world than that we all want to be part of. Absolutely. All right, man. So uh, this this was a lot of like this was a lot of practical advice, man. I, I started writing down all the six different things: the self-centered, contrast, tangible, beginning and end, visual and emotional. Those six stimuli. So we, we're going to write a blog on this one. But I think one thing that I want to leave everybody with, and then I would love Dave for you to kind of wrap up with any final thoughts, is yeah. the use of the word "you." is so important. And I think a lot of people think you is, it's almost like an attacking kind of thing, but no, it's not. When you say you, like you're really addressing the needs of the person in front of you and it can be used in a better way. And you gave a ton of examples from Steve Jobs to Steven Spielberg to all these other great luminaries, how they've used the word you and how they've used this different ideas and strategies of neuroscience and neuromarketing to help convey a story. And at the end of the day, if you want to get your point across, it may be through podcast, it may be through audio, video, or a conversation. These visual cues are incredibly important. All these stimuli, this neuro thing is real because at the end of the day, we are all humans. The other part that I think that I'm going to take away from this personally is the beginning and end. Whenever there is a conversation, whenever there is a presentation that I'm, I'm going to do, I'm going to start spending more time figuring out what is my beginning look like 
and what my end looks like so that I am not not trying to give one more importance than the other or I'm saying that the middle doesn't matter, but really making sure that the beginning and end has a ton of impact so that there is audience, there is participation, and there is an understanding that I care for the people in the audience or the care for the person who is next to me or in front of me and I'm having a conversation. I want them to know that I care about them. So with that being said, Dave, what do you want to wrap up with? Well, I want to give people that are interested a place to go to really learn this because I've been focusing, like I said, for about 15 years, really mastering my craft in storytelling and persuasion. Uh, I've read probably all the top 12 books on neuromarketing, neuroscience, and the art of persuasion. There's some really good ones. So here's what you can go do. I took a workshop from some guys over at salesbrain.com. And I think that they do the best job for sales and marketing really breaking down these concepts. The six stimuli that we covered is part of their curriculum. And so if you go to salesbrain.com, you can watch some videos that they have and get some reinforcement on this. They've got some tools that you can look at online to remind yourself how to apply this. But they've got a book called Neuromarketing, no surprise. And it's an inexpensive book. It's maybe 20 bucks. In fact, they even have a new book coming out. But the book Neuromarketing, available on Amazon, is absolutely worth reading. It's a game changer in terms of your ability to improve your content and make you a better communicator. So we'll grab that. That's a great way to close it, man. Dave, thank you so much for sharing something very different than what we have ever shared on the on the podcast. It's typically about B2B marketing and sales, very tactical. But I think this one, very practical because everybody can use it and very different in a way because I think that's not something people are thinking about, but they're using a lot of these practices today, or they are emotionally engaged with it when somebody else does it and maybe wondering, how does that person do it? So you've given six practical ways and examples of how that can be done. So Dave, thank you for being on the podcast, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. My best to you and Caitlin. I look forward to seeing you uh, at some upcoming events that we're both going to be at and keep doing the killer job that you guys are doing with uh, the podcast and get the content out here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks, buddy. Awesome. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.